The podcast world is growing bigger every day and Himalaya wants to help you navigate it. Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future faves. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters some love with Himalaya's tip jar. It's free, it's the easiest to use, and they are adding cool new features er day. Go to your app store, download Himalaya, that's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A, and don't forget to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. Alright, what's up everybody and welcome to episode number 127, how do you say it in German, of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Friday, February 8th, 2019. It's Friday, Friday, gotta get down on Friday. Is my, Mike, are you looking forward to the weekend, weekend? Um, uh, not if it's like freezing cold and, and full of snow, because that means I don't work and I don't make that money, money, money. Did, 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 that mo money, mo money, mo money. Did, did, please tell me you got the Rebecca Black reference at the beginning of that. Yes, I did. Oh, okay, just making sure. I thought about doing it, but then you beat me to it, so. Great minds think alike, I Oh, guess. yeah. Oh, yeah, it's definitely. So, you say it's a little cold where you're at, Mike? Yeah. It's not as cold as uh, Chicago was or some of those other places where it was like negative 50. You know what really gets on my nerves is people who try to pull rank with their temperatures in their state. Yeah. Like it's all relative people. I mean, I'm I live in Florida, which by the way, it's 74 degrees right now and it's oh, just talking about not pulling rank and here you are. No, I'm not. Rank. I'm saying that it's like really it's real it's it's almost like hot. Like I almost have to turn on the AC. <laughs> Just, oh, Mr. Wall, it's 73 degrees. Well, no, uh, what I'm talking about is like <laughs> inflow. Okay, I'm I'm born and raised here, live my whole life here. So I'm not acclimated to cold temperatures. I'm fucking not. So when it gets to like 40 degrees outside, it's fucking cold to me. I'm that's sorry. Nothing. Sorry for all the Canadians and Europeans out there. I'm using the Fahrenheit scale. So you when have it gets to- like 30, 20, you know, then I'm like, oh God. But 40, 50, uh, whatever. Yeah, that see, to me, that's cold, but but uh, like I'll bitch about it on Facebook every now and then, and inevitably my cousins from Massachusetts have to butt <laughs> in and go, oh, Boston. bro, that's nothing. You should fucking be here. It's fucking duh, 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 duh. It's like, yeah, good. G- good for you. You want a fucking trophy? You want you want a, a, a fucking a golden snowplow award or something for withstanding, you know, you were you, born in that shit. You're used to it, and you probably have a lot better... Uh, winter wear than I do. Most, I mean, fo- heck, Dude. I think one of our uh, subscribe our listeners, Mary, she's in in uh, Minneapolis in Minnesota. It's like negative fourteen. Yeah, uh, that that sucks. <laughs> it, you know, and it, as a Floridian, you have like two two jackets max because you never need them. I have a, this awesome leather jacket. It's well, it's actually pleather. It's not yeah. real leather, but. It's got like one of those like little hoodies sewn into it. So you, it still has the hood, you know, if you want to put a hood over your head, but it's got kind of the leather jacket look. I like how it looks, but uh, that, that the fucker stays in my room or my uh, my uh, fucking closet in my other room for, you know, uh, I don't know, like eight, nine months out of the year. There's no reason to own own it. But, you know, 
It's going to get cold again, I'm sure, before it, it, it permanently stays hot. And I start, Yeah, but I, it, it's probably not going to be anywhere near as cold yeah. as it is, has been over well, good. Or I'm, in other places. I'm over the cold. <laughs> I'm over my hands constantly being icy cold. My, hand, my feet do this weird thing when they get cold. They get sweaty. I don't know what that, that is. is. That is kind of weird. Yeah, they get sweaty and then the sweat dries and they just get real rough and like grippy. That's the only way I know how to describe it. They get this grippy sensation where they just, <laughs> they're just rough. You know, <laughs> like if, I, if, if you rub it against a hard surface, it makes that squeak sound and it just sends fucking Ew. chills up your <laughs> spine. Yeah, it sucks, man. I fucking hate the cold. That's just gross. Yes, yes it is. Talking about your dry feet that squeak. <laughs> Dry, squeaky feet. Whatever, man. <laughs> we we had to hear about your damn ingrown toenail for. Yeah, I know, but like that that you know that that was. I don't know. It was like that. Actually, was uh, something pretty serious. Like that. This is like. Some people would be like, "Oh, your dry feet. Oh, boohoo." <laughs> yeah, well, they're gonna say that hate hate is gonna hate Mike. Hate is gonna hate. <laughs> Um, so anyway, this is a pod. Well, I mean, there's people in uh, over here that are going crazy. Like, uh, I guess at Costco, like there was lines all the way all over the place, like almost outside because people were trying to get their winter coats because they didn't prepare and didn't have a winter jacket already. I feel like the day they're even calling it Snowmageddon. And I'm oh like, yeah, God. I don't think it's going to be anywhere near as bad as the blizzard I was in in Oklahoma City a few years ago. <laughs> but we'll see I feel like the day that our chit chat mainly comprises of the weather is the day we've officially become old men I mean that's that's what I think well what 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 else is there to talk about like my job like like it's nothing like there isn't any crazy stories to talk about I'm trying to think of nobody they, was I'm trying to think nobody if I was any. upset oh no nobody was pissed off everything's been going fine actually a lot of things have been going great so i i don't have any and don't have any reason to complain um i feel like i have shit to talk about but like i didn't write it down so now i can't really think of anything um so <laughs> but hey that's cool because we have a great case today to talk about that's probably going to take at least an hour to get through and it's not unsolved mysteries it's not now back in the day when i would talk about you know there was other mystery shows that i liked besides unsolved mysteries i would always say dateline and this is a case that came straight from mm -hmm. dateline it was a case that in it, it was so the pettiness levels and the the immaturity levels and this is early this is from season one of dateline mystery oh okay yeah because it did have a rougher look and i'm thinking to myself like this was in the 2000s why does this look so yeah. like like did rough. you did did you buy Dateline Mystery? Yeah, on, I had to yeah. I had to buy this okay. off of Amazon because you cannot yeah. find this episode anywhere, which is kind of a no. cock tease. I understand, um, but yeah, you know you can't. Unfortunately, it's hard to find, but you can buy it off Amazon Prime for a uh, dollar ninety nine, and uh, it's thirty nine minutes. I, I I feel it's worth it. It's just a, a great case, and you know Dateline they just do such a stellar job. Um, Anytime they cover any case of of any kind, and Keith Morrison, I've always said this: Keith Morrison should it should be if uns, the new Unsolved Mysteries were to have a new host, it sh I feel Keith Morrison would be one of the guys that would do a great job. That would be my yeah. personal bid. Yeah, I I, th I think he could he could do a good job. Definitely, uh, I'm definitely leaning towards uh, Netflix not having a, a host. 
Oh, you would you would rather can, them not can, have a host at all? No, no, I'm leaning towards that because that's what I think they're gonna do. Oh yeah. I mean, ideally, I would like them to have a host, but I I really do feel strongly that they're not gonna have a host. Didn't they already say be, they weren't gonna have a host? Well, something? kind of like rumors about it. I, I I'm assuming they're gonna try to they're gonna be inspired by making a murderer and some of these other Netflix documentary series is like the keepers and so on and so forth. So they're going to try to do that with Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, so this case, I remember seeing this on the Investigation Discovery Channel a long time ago, which it, it was, and I don't know if it's still on the air or not, but was a just a fantastic mm-hmm. channel if you were a fan of true crime. ID is still around. Okay. It's a huge channel. Okay, <laughs> great. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad it's still around. And there's another channel uh, where you can watch stuff uh, if you don't have ID. It's, it's actually watch it with commercials and it's on like a lot of people's basic cable packages uh justice network oh okay and they do reruns of cold case files and other and forensic files and stuff like that they even were airing rescue 911 so yeah yeah i mean you, you have you had shows like dateline you had shows like i almost got away with it you had shows like uh nightmare next door uh deadly neighbors yeah, those are good ones too yeah um dangerous women uh just all these great they had a fraud one and they had like uh white collar crimes yeah, yeah that one and, and and i mean yeah after a while uh some of the shows were just kind of repackaging the same cases over and over again but you know that's kind of that's kind of like par for the course with this kind of genre. So, well, I mean, in Unsolved Mysteries, you had a lot of cases that were covered in other places, either on Unsolved Mysteries or on America's Most Wanted or around the same time. And then there are even other cases that were featured later, like the arson case, you know, with the Omar, like that was featured on, oh, I'm trying to remember what, I think it was part of Cold Case Files or some other one, something like that. Seemed like back in those days, though, when those shows redid cases that other shows did, they all had their own style and flair to it. It seems like some yeah. of the shows on ID are just kind of like paint by, yeah, paint by numbers. The same like blurry camera work. Right. They just kind of repackage, yeah. you know, the same like visual assets and the same aperture, uh-huh. you know, blurrings and the music. And it's just kind of like, OK, you're just. You're acting like this is a new show, but this is really just kind of like a very cheaply made, you know, kind of reassemblement. Anyway, I digress. (laughs) Um, So this is a case called Trouble on the Hill. And it uh, it was uh, like Mike said, that's something that, you know, trouble like that's it seems there's there's much more. Yeah, they they undersell it a little (laughs) bit. But uh, anyway, this was a case that I remember seeing a long time ago and, and it just stuck with me. And it was just such a great case because, like I said, the pettiness of these wealthy... I had never seen this case before or heard of it before. What And, and, and I, what a treat that you got to experience yeah. this for the first time because, like, I had already seen it, but, like, man, like, it's so good. I, it's just, it's so good because, well, you'll figure out what happens here soon enough. So what we're doing is we're, we're reading off the transcript, so though you're not actually seeing it, you're getting as damn close as you're going to get probably without buying the episode. And then we'll do comp, you know, add commentary uh, here and there in between um, reading the, uh, the manuscript here, mm-hmm. the transcript. So um, it starts out with fucking creepy Keith Morrison. I mean, he's great and all, but God damn this guy, his voice. If you ever heard him talk, I'll try to like insert maybe a clip of his audio in here or something. He has the creepiest voice actually. Um, who's that guy for Saturday night live that did the uh, Don Pardo. 
No, it's not Don Pardo. He's uh, one of the younger cast members. He did like the gay New Yorker guy on the Weekend Update where he puts his hands in front of his face constantly. Oh, fucking uh, Stefan. Right? That's the character he did. Yeah. What's his actual? He was in Super Bad. He was one of the cops. Oh, god damn it. I know. Uh, it's, it's not Bill Hader, right? I think it, no, it is Bill Hader. Yes, it's Bill Hader. Okay. So Bill Hader actually did a a uh, a parody of Keith Morrison on one episode of Saturday Night Live, and it was uh-huh. really really funny. Uh huh. So anyway, it starts out with uh with uh, his little monologue here. It's at the heart of everything holy, the core of the message. A single phrase: "Love thy neighbor." To which we might add, "Woe to him or her." Who learns to hate instead, as you're about to discover? Once upon a time in a paradise by the Golden Pacific, up a quiet private road among the canyons of Carmel, lived three fine people. And they were bright and loved and likable and accomplished. The idealistic engineer, the crusading defense attorney, the caring nurse. Who could imagine what these three neighbors were capable of? Love thy neighbor? There would be blood. <laughs> 911 call. John Kenny. Get off my property. Elizabeth Grimes. Don't tell me to get off your property. John Kenny. I will tell you to get off it. Elizabeth Grimes. You're on my property every time you back up. John Kenny again. Get off this property. Elizabeth Grimes. Please send the sheriff. Hurry. The private driveway was leafy, secluded, quiet. Over a bridge it went, then wound past and under the old oak and sycamore, up the side of the canyon. And here, second from the top, were two, call them, grown-up hippies. Two soulmates, Mel and Elizabeth, the Grimes. It was kismet that they found one another after two failed marriages each, and Mel, who brought Elizabeth up here to his uniquely funky utopia, Love among the rustling leaves to the tune of wild birds and wind chimes. Now, for some reason, the scriptwriter for this really loves funky. Uh, there's this all crazy about the funky. I'm thing. so I'm like, so glad you point you you also noticed that, Mike, because that was one of the things. Even when I first watched this years ago, I was like, "What is up with their their use of the word funky?" Like, I know this is just the first time I mentioned the word. But they go out, like, even all the interviewees in this segment, they all describe this house as funky or the personalities yep. as funky of these, of the, of uh-huh. the Grimes. Yeah, he had, a, the, yeah, whoever the writer was had a, a huge boner for feeding the word <laughs> funky to everybody. And it just, it just, just hearing the narration from, uh, what's his name again? Keith? Is it Keith? Yeah, Keith Morrison. Keith Morrison. And he's just like, you know, um, it was kismet that they found one another after two failed marriages each. And Mel, who brought Elizabeth up here to his uniquely funky utopia, <laughs> love among the rustling leaves to the tune of wild birds and wind chimes. And it's just, he just keeps on going with the funky thing later on. And it, it's this, and he tries to be all lighthearted with his narration. And. Keith, he just doesn't pull that off to me personally. It, it just sounds incredibly creepy, cringy. I, it's just cringeworthy to me. It just it's it, it yeah, it is kind of cringy. But it 
you almost laugh out loud when you hear him do it yeah. because he's like one of the only guys that I feel like could pull off that almost like purposely hokiness with his narrations. I, I feel like if someone else tried to do it, it'd be like a joke. It'd be like, I, I, I still think it's a joke. I don't think I don't think he can pull it off. I don't think he pulls it off because it just sounds uh, it doesn't like the way his narration is. He's really great when he's talking about dark you know disturbing things or you know talking about some shocking development but when he's trying to be all lighthearted and and hokey it, it it just doesn't click it just comes across as if he's trying to be something that he isn't or it, it's like an alien trying to be uh uh heartwarming or something like it just doesn't really it doesn't it doesn't work for me it's kind of like when Robert Stack tried to do the same thing, and like a lot of the times when Stack's narration was at its weakest, when when he was saying you know stuff like that. But I would have to be honest; I would say Stack, even in those moments, was more believable to me than Keith Morrison. I mean, not not Morrison. No, you're you're right. It's Keith Morrison. <laughs> oh, okay. I, th- I thought that was the. I was getting confused with the the Doors. Oh, lead singer Jim Morrison. <laughs> Jim Morrison. Okay, so Tom Ellington Wills is uh, interv- star. He's interviewed here. I think he's the son. Yeah, of, he's of yeah, Wills. he's the, he's the son of Elizabeth. And they were just really happy. It was crazy. It, it was seeing them together constantly, always holding hands. Tom Ellington Wills is Elizabeth's son. He has instantly liked his mother's new. Su- he instantly liked his mother's new suitor when she introduced them. He's quoted here again. He was just a really cool, mellow guy, you know. And had a real good head on his shoulders. Mel grew up on a surfboard in the Monterey Bay, became a defense attorney, ran marathons, got involved with the Monterey Blues Festival even. My mom was a paralegal at a a law firm that was directly next door to his law firm. He would constantly ask my mom out on a date. And he said, hey, I've got two tickets to the Santana concert. Do you want to go? And my mom loves Santana, so she really couldn't say no at that point. So they went. And they were together since that, since that date. Within a year, they got married. You know, they truly lived each day. We're, we're always gone. We're always on vacation, doing, doing things like that. And I was definitely jealous going to school, always finding out they were going somewhere like Costa Rica or somewhere in the Caribbean or going to Hawaii. Yeah, you would be jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, if I say, hear about your parents, they're just doing all this vacationing and like well that must be nice <laughs> elizabeth and mel and up here in on their uh private hillside they dress their overgrown love nest in bits of whimsy that's a weird sentence it literally says elizabeth and mel and up here on their private hillside yeah. okay so this the the accuracy of this transcript might be a little no spotty. that's i think that's probably how he said it oh probably like elizabeth and mel and up here on their private hillside, they dress their overgrown love nest in bits of whimsy. Yeah, okay. I got yeah. I got to remember the man that I'm <laughs> trying to impersonate here with all yeah, his exactly. weird pauses. Uh-huh. So Tom is interviewed again. He says, our house was the funkiest house I think I'd ever seen. Sounds like lyrics for a song. You know, the funky, funkiest house, the funkiest house you'd ever seen. <laughs> I think I, I think that what they're trying to do in this in this uh, show is... is uh, you know, create a euphemism uh, for uh, shitty and substitute (laughs) it for funky. It was the funkiest house I'd ever seen. It was, 
It was really funky. You know what else has a funk to it? I, Shit. I thought it. I thought it was more like kitschy. Yeah, you know, kitschy. Yeah, that that's that's probably a better word for it. Um, but you know, whatever. Those houses can be cool too, I guess, in their own way. So they planted discarded surfboards, upended to grow like flowers among the odd mismatched sculptures. The signs, the birdhouses, those wind chimes, the carcass of a small ancient sailboat. An unbuttoned labor of love in a way, and influenced, though not always tastefully, by those whose need for Mel's legal services was as urgent as their wallets were empty. Now, when you when they show the the, the house, it does look kitschy. You know, some of the stuff is like huh, they got the surfboards and everything, and but when you see like the the uh, was like a piece of stone that says legal services, you're like, this is just it seems so out of place. Yeah, it was attorneys at law, uh, uh, like etched on some plaque yeah. that was in some stone. Yeah, and it's just this kitschy house. That looks like, you know, some crazy cat lady, you know, is living there or, you know, some hoarder house or something. And it's attorney at law. You know, it's, Which it of these things comical. is not like the other. <laughs> exactly. So here's Tom again. Hey, I, I can't afford to pay your legal fee, but can I build a deck or can I build a, you know, whatever so I can do, you, you know, what? And I, that I, would be OK that, with him? Yeah, that that was a bad. Now that that was a bad uh, transcript there because I can I do sh what <laughs> what was it? Can I do S? We're just gonna try like, to what, what let's just try to work through this without pointing out every single time the transcript's I, 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 bad. I, I know. I, I I'm just gonna just assume point whenever we read time. bad people that it's the transcript and not our poor <laughs> abilities to read because God knows we're amazing yeah. readers. So Tom Ellington again continues after Keith says, and that would be okay with him. And he's like, how can I work it out? And he'd be like, sure, no problem. I could use a deck off the end of the house. You know, a freestanding unit over here, one bedroom over here. I mean, the house, the way it's laid out was really funky. Yeah, and by the way, I want to clarify, like the uh, Mel Grimes, the other neighbor, uh, he would literally have people do work for him in, in lieu of uh, paying his legal fees. So if you hired Mel Grimes as your attorney... Yeah, and you couldn't pay him money, but say you were a carpenter, you could build him like a deck, mm -hmm. and that would cover your legal fees. Like that, I thought that was kind of crazy. Like, but yeah, cool in a way, I guess. So this was not a straight laced or strictly ordered guy. Yeah, no, not at all. He was a cruiser. Mel had been cruising freestyle ten years up here when his new neighbor moved in. Seemed friendly enough, and certainly he was an impressive man. The neighbor. His name was John Kenny, a 65-year-old oil exploration scientist with a PhD from MIT, a Korean War vet, a former college professor, a world-traveling consultant. Kenny soon fit right in, joined a local church, befriended downhill neighbors, and got involved in local conservation efforts. And then, uh, I don't know, I don't know how to say her name Seg properly. Segaline Kenny. Sigoline Kenny. This, this uh, was his, his daughter. daughter. Yeah. He just loves Karma Valley. And, and when you see wild spaces like that, you want to preserve them. Sigoline Kenny is John Kenny's daughter. Though you can probably tell from her accent that she is not a California girl. Fascinating, isn't it? How fate can dictate the shape of a life. And that is part of our story, too. It was serendipity as much as anything that produced the conditions. 
the distance, the isolation without which none of this would have happened. John Kenny happened to be at a conference in New York years ago. He met a woman there, a doctor, a European doctor, and since John Kenny could do his work anywhere, that's how he became John Kenny of Nancy, France. Here, Here in, in this, this ancient, ancient city, city, Kenny and his wife Marie <laughs> Helen, the gynecologist, raised their two adopted daughters, who in their way adored him. Now, folks, what we did just send was a, that, a 1970s studio trick where we doubled the vocal to make it more powerful. That was on purpose. <laughs> Seglin Kenny, Kenny is uh, interviewed again. Well, my father is a wonderful man. He has risen us the best way he could. He's tender. He is calm. He's funny. As the girls grew through their teenage years in France with their mother, Kenny divided his time between Nancy and his little piece of American paradise, his house in Carmel Valley, with its wonderful view its essential serenity. Segaline Kenny, he is a peaceful man, and right down to the sordid sizes of the logs for the fireplace, it's perfect order. Yes, that order. At the end of the road, at the top of the hill, order and chaos we're about to meet. This motherfucker, I, 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 know, I know how he is because I am the same way. Yeah. This is a very OCD man. It uh -huh. shows that he's got... This guy is... I think he's also a sociopath. I think that's definitely another thing. But he's all about control. Yeah. And all about he, order. He has his damn... The the kindling for his fire, the logs and all that, mm -hmm. they're sorted in buckets according to length. Yep. They're not all they, thrown they in they one bucket. That. Yeah, they show when, when he says order. Yeah. Yeah. Like... So that's some good editing there. I wanted to mention real quick that Keith Morrison, like the reason why he might sound creepy is because the fact that it kind of reminds you of like a Twilight Zone narration. So it's kind of like you almost feel like, oh no, like you're entering the Twilight Zone. <laughs> um, so up on the canyon side here in California's Carmel Valley, a pristine order, pristine order moved in beside cluttered whimsy. It was 1999 and for a moment all was quiet. Every story has a beginning, of course, and every war an original cause. And in the, in the case of this story, this war, that would be this bridge, which in the year 2000 was in desperate need of repair. The neighbors decided if they didn't do something pretty soon, a car would fall through the boards here to the creek bed below, so they set about deciding what to do. And perhaps somebody should have warned them about the law of unintended consequences. But as we say, the bridge is where it began. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and so basically there's a, there was a bridge that led to their properties, their houses or whatever, that you had to pass before you went up this hill. And it, I guess it was kind of an old, slightly dilapidated bridge, and so it needed to be fixed. Um, and the Grimes and, the Ke and, and Kenny... Um, John Kenny, they had two totally different uh, ways or ideas to get that fixed. So, uh, according to Segaline Kenny, her father wanted to hire a company to fix the bridge, but Mel Grimes offered to repair it himself, so Kenny agreed to wait. And then Segaline Kenny here is saying, and so, several weeks later, the bridge still was not fixed. Frustrated, John Kenny took matters into his own hands and hired a company to make the repairs. He assumed the fee would be equally split. Then Segaline is here saying, uh, and, and Mel didn't pay his fee. He said, well, no, I didn't agree. And 
no, I don't care. And so they had to go to court for this, but my dad won. But see, this is the this is the start of like this just of like uh the the uh show actually says it says, it says it's an irritant, and it actually is a great way to put it. As, as Keith Morrison so so uh, eloquently put it, but now the irritant was planted and began to grow. I don't think he has that <laughs> eye of a. <laughs> it sounds like. Andy Rooney or something from the 60 Minutes. God, what is going on outside of my house right now? It's like, are the cats having like a fucking riot out there? I hear all this rumbling around and shit. It's that possum again. He's having problems. No, dude, that possum makes so much noise in my in my house at night. <laughs> anyway, you can take it from here. Okay. So he talks about the irritant. And uh, yeah, I could see why uh, Kenny would be upset. Because this is like he asked him to do something about it, it didn't really do anything. And then once he took it upon himself to to hire somebody to fix the bridge, I mean, the least you could do is like pay half of it. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like after you know, uh, several weeks go by and nothing happens, and you know, Mr. OCD over here, John Kenny, is like, uh, okay, if it were up to me, this shit would have been done by now. My car could like fall through this fucking bridge anytime now. Mm-hmm. I don't blame him for getting annoyed at that. And, but you know, with that being said, I would have, you know, I would have totally been like, Hey Mel, uh, I'm going to go ahead and hire a crew cause this needs to get done. So can you chip in half? You know, I wouldn't have just, yeah. it's kind of fucked up to go and, and do something like that without someone else's consent and then ask them for yeah, money. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. So they're both like, they're both, they both had they're their both, faults. They're both in the wrong. Yeah. You know, they both had their faults. But still, I mean, it's one of those things where you kind of just work work with it. You know, maybe, maybe if he paid it back, none of this would have ever yeah, happened. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, you can already see like the little seeds of like, uh, descent. It, it, it's like they both have their own, they would both have their own side to that bridge thing. Like John Kenny's like, dude, you took forever. My car's gonna, you know, fall through this dilapidated old bridge. Well, he won the legal suit. So, yeah. And then, but then Mel's probably gonna be like, bro, I would have done it, man. You just have to give me a little bit of time, man. You know, you do, now you're asking me for money and I, I didn't even agree to that, dude. I told you I'd fix it. So it's like, you got two yeah. trains of thought here, you know, going. So Christine, Christine Williams uh, is interviewed here. Uh, Jack was one of those people that really was sensitive to the surroundings around him. Christine and Kim Williams attended the same church as John Kenny, and they called him Jack. Christine Williams, I, I think one of the things that kind of was difficult for him was every time he would come out of his house to go to his car which was at the other end of this house and facing the Grimes property, he was he would look at their house, which is pretty funky. And <laughs> a lot of, you know, things that were, weren't real neat and tidy and aesthetically beautiful at all. If the funky thing is good, like, are they telling the interviewers, like the people being interviewed to say funky? Like, come on. They would have had to have been feeding them the, those lines because the son was saying it and now this totally unrelated chick who uh, went to their church the say, you know, totally didn't even know the son is like calling it funky. It's like, what's up? Can you what's imagine up with the funky? like, and a lot of you know things that weren't real neat and tidy. You know, you know, look at their house, which is pretty shitty looking. You know, it's like uh, uh, this no, is no, 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 this no. is the network television. Uh, can can you use the word funky instead of shitty? <laughs> so Tom Tom Ellington is uh, interviewed again here. He's like, to some it was garbage, but to them it was just unique and neat and funky. You know. 
they were up on the hill on there and and on their own doing their own thing no one could see you know no one that is except the man who loved order john kenny uh so tom ellington wills the son um he goes on to say um i just don't think he liked looking out the window and seeing all the cars and all the funky yard stuff god stop saying funky yeah oh he loved that word (laughs) Well, it wasn't just that, as Kenny told his daughter. Then you have Segaline Kelly, or Kenny, the daughter of uh, John. Mel was dumping garbage and branches and all kinds of stuff on his property, but also in the garden of others. And this was causing a fire hazard, and this was dangerous for the valley. Then Tom... Yeah, that's 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 uh, pretty lame. That's uh, kind of a weak... Uh, I don't know. To me, that's kind of a weak uh, excuse. What to- do you mean it's a weak? I mean, it is a weak excuse to do what he did, but I don't think that's the main reason why he did what he, what he did eventually. Um, no, it is kind. Of, it is pretty lame, though. I mean, that's that's that's. I mean, really dumping garbage and branches on someone else's property? Like, come on, like, come on, man. Well, she says that he was dumping shit in the in the yards of others. She says garden, but that's Euro- yeah. Europe speak for yard. Um. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Was there? I don't think there was any proof of that. She was saying he was doing that, but I don't imagine. What do you mean? There's no proof. I mean, there probably is. They showed some footage of like branches and stuff that were like already like uh, on somebody else's a, property. Could have been a stock clip of some kind that they just shot on. It, it, I, I, it didn't look like a stock clip. It looked like it was. I think there was a pan shot that was shooting the house. So there was all that stuff. That just that's just weird to me to think that this guy has this huge property and he's like taking like a bunch of like yard rubbish and just. Hey, people do this shit. I mean, my uh, this is a different case, but when my grandmother, uh, she had a neighbor who was a cantankerous old man. And uh, his plant, uh, grandma's, uh, she had a plant that had, had you know, it, it's grow, it, it grows pretty high. Well, he didn't like how high it was growing. And despite the fact that it wasn't even on his property, he decided to show up one day with clippers and clip her plants. So some of these people are out there. I mean, really, some people like to do, you know, shady shit like that. Yeah, that was weird, though, if he did that. I mean, it, it's like. These people are in a really nice part of the country, you know. You would think that they're like a little bit more well-to-do, but apparently there's these funky hippies that feel like it's okay to uh, throw yard waste in other people's yards. So anyway, um, so then this it goes back to the son of the Grimes saying, um, "I only got to hear from my mom like, oh, you know, this neighbor's becoming a nightmare." In 2003, a new neighbor moved in a little farther down the hill, Joy Scampa. Mike, take it from here. Joy Scampa, Mr. Kenny wanted us to take sides. He would call me to run profiles and get maps for him to distinguish exactly where the property lines were. Well, that's pretty anal. (laughs) Right. Joyce is a real estate broker, but she had access to property records. And she and her husband were friends of the Grimes. And Joyce is interviewed again. We did not want to get involved in any kind of feud between neighbors, and we really asked not to hear any of the problems, which is a good That's smart. That's what I try to do with people when they try to, like, pass their drama on to me and tell me about it. it. If it has anything to do... With like someone that I like or someone that I support, I'm just I'm just like or someone I know personally. Well, yeah, yeah, no, this is all this is all keeping in the theme of I know them personally. If I don't know who they are, yeah, I don't I don't care. Tell me whatever you want about them. But if it's someone I know and you're trying to like say 
you know, just your bad, your negative opinion on them. It's like, yeah, keep keep that one to yourself. I don't want to. But hear she it. doesn't really know them that personally either. You know, this is just her business, and she she's probably like, eh, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. And I support that because that's you know, if you're she's a real estate broker, like you can't really get involved that much in 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 the lives of your uh, of the real estate. Uh, you know, the people who are living in the homes that you've sold. I mean, like this really, you know, you you help sell the house you keep in touch with the people who bought it briefly for a little bit after they first buy the house and if they decide they want to sell it then you get involved again but other than that no they 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 deal with too many people to be able to you know to afford to to have that kind of drama in their lives i think it's weird so, that you i think it's weird that you'd meet your neighbor and and be like oh you do real estate hey can you do me a favor and get me like the uh yeah, map yeah, of the is. fucking property lines of everything yeah, it's here like uh no we're neighbors but we, no i wouldn't even do that for clients <laughs> so kenny and the grimes both went to local authorities tattling on each other's violations of local building ordinances even though they couldn't even see from their own property some of the legal add-ons of the other, such as a detached studio tucked in behind the Grimes' house. And Tom Ellington Willis is interviewed here. It was a mediation room for, for my mom. Meditation. It, meditation room for my mom. It was surrounded by all like oak trees that were over 100 years old. My mom just really found peace in that corner of the property and really wanted something to just kind of get away, listen to her music, read a book, you know, that kind of stuff. And as and such, such as the lovely sunroom, invisible to the grimes, which Kennedy added to give him a better view of the pristine valley. So they both had, uh, you know, not necessarily up to code additions to to things on their property, and they were... Both being little bitches about, you know, tattling on each other. Yep. The most petty, you know, the most petty as, as you can get at, at the Oh, at this it gets point. even pettier. Oh, yeah. It gets, it gets much more. It really more. does. Yeah. So, Segaline Kenny is quoted here as saying, But Mel, as a vengeance, he contacted the sheriff, and he said that my father didn't have the permit to build the veranda. It was just a vengeance, you know, because they had troubles. Mel Grimes hired an attorney. Andy Schwartz. Andy Schwartz is quoted here as saying, Over the year from April of 2004 to about April of 2005, it began escalating as different issues arose. They wrote letters to each other, which were also in the escalating tone. And ultimately, Kenny asking the Grimeses to lock, up his, uh, to lock his dogs up and not let them run loose. And then, and when something awful happened to the animals, the Grimes, though there was no evidence, suspected Kenny. And you got Andy Schwartz again. Mr. and Mrs. Grimes' home was burglarized. Three of his cats disappeared. The Grimes' dog was poisoned. Oh, come, you know, really, bro? Like, that's where you're just taking things. Like, this is this is the start of the sinister moves on the part of, of Kenny. Dude, the amount... I, 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 don't, I don't buy it. It's anyone else. The, I the amount of times buy. that we had dogs that we owned yeah. that were poisoned, like, people do that mm -hmm. shit all the yep. time. Or, like, the dog uh, kennel arson case that was on unsolved mysteries that i can't watch and i don't think i have watched yeah. it um i can't watch any animal abuse stories it just fucks with me too much even the parrot one was hard to watch mm -hmm. um so elizabeth confided in a new friend elise batty go ahead with elise batty when i first met elizabeth she told me she had this really crazy hostile neighbor 
Whenever Elise went to visit, she said, Elizabeth warned her, never cross John Kenny's driveway. Elise Batty. She was frightened of him because he would make claims or say things to her in the driveway. She would pull up and it would upset her. And that, w and that would frighten her. And what would happen next? Would it only be a verbal confrontation? Could it sometime be something else? Tom remembered the advice his parents received from one of their attorneys. Tom Ellington Willis. You know, I I've dealt with cases like this. The best advice I can give you is if you guys can do it, just pack up and leave. Just move. You, you never know what this could escalate into. That's crazy. And that that uh, that, that yeah. but it was really good advice in this situation. It was. But that you know that's that's nuts. That an attorney would that would be their professional opinion. Like yeah, just the best thing to do in these situations is to move. But in hindsight, yeah, no, he was totally, right. He was right. No spoilers, but no, he he was right. But like. I mean, geez, that would be like me, like if I had like a shitty neighbor, which thank God I don't. Um, but if I had a shitty neighbor, uh, you know, me having to uproot all my shit from a place that I love living at and moving just because of a shitty neighbor. Like, it seems like it shouldn't have to come to that. But I guess mm. some people are just like dead set on being assholes. Yep. So, eventually, the growing conflict found a focus. The property line that separated Kenny from the Grimes. It ran right along there. And the road, of course, was an easement. Legally, it had to be shared. And I think in this scene, they show, like, a CGI recreation of what the property looks like. So that's what he's describing. But then there was this tiny spit of land. Four feet wide, maybe ten long. Technically, as you can see, it's Kenny's property but it's on Grimes' side of the road. Grimes had to cross it to get to his carport. So, I'm trying to describe this. So you got Kenny's house on the left, you got the Grimes' house on the right, and then you have a road in between both houses that goes up. And the road, uh, it kind of expands out to Kenny's house to the left, and then it kind of like curves to the right um, over to the Grimes's house, and the and and technically John Kenny owned the um a larger the strip. It's, yeah the strip. It was like this larger portion that even came right up to the Grimes's carport. That was but this is how OCD and anal this guy is. Like this tiny little strip. It literally became like the uh, strip of land between what Israel and uh, uh, the Gaza Strip or whatever. Yeah, that, between Israel and like Palestine yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was like literally the same concept, like this one little piece, this one little strip that they needed the the Grimes needed to use that strip to pull into their carport. And Kenny also, you know, he would go past their particular part of of the property. To, to move his car around so it's like one of those things it's like it's like if you had somebody arguing over like the little tiny like if you if you have neighbors and there's like a little tiny piece of land where there's like some gravel and shit and a few rocks that's like in between uh your uh the your properties like most people are like, we don't give a shit. Who cares about that? It's not really a big deal, right? Like if if you want to, you know, if you have some plants that are kind of 
Because technically, there are some, our neighbors have some plants that are kind of growing over into our side of the earth, but I don't really give a shit. Who cares? Like, it's not a big deal. It's like, come on. If you're like 90% of the population, you're not going to be a dick about that small little shit. More like 98%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in June of 2005, Kenny planted a garden to keep the grimes off the strip of ground, which of course meant that they wouldn't be able to use their car. The nerve of this guy. Like, yes. he... There, you know, there's like the the driveway. There's this little strip of land, and then there's their carport. And then he plants a garden. <laughs> he plants a garden in this little strip between the driveway and their carport. Dude, that is such an ins- an escalatory. I don't know if that's a word, but that you are escalating the situation twenty fold by doing that. That you might as well have. Uh, just po- dug a post in the ground and nailed a big middle finger uh, on that post because that is literally what. Or just fucking w- wired up some sticks of dynamite and C four or some shit because you, you're you're blowing things up. Yeah, you really are blowing things up. So a few hours a few hours later, he would claim he was backing out of his driveway and saw Grimes driving back and forth over the new garden he just planted destroying it then he claimed elizabeth changed charged his car up in his own driveway and blocked him in now this yeah these are all his claims he could easily claim that his garden was being destroyed just by them simply just driving their car into the fucking driveway you know i mean backing the car out of the driveway it's like one of those things it's like come on i mean how did he how did he reasonably uh, expect this situation to pan out. Oh, he he knew exactly how it was going to pan out. He did that on purpose. Did he did, did he think in his in his and he's not a dumb guy. This guy is like a fucking no. You know what? Uh, uh, oil, whatever the fuck he did. He was a professor in college too. He's got a PhD. So I I, I think what he did he did that on purpose because I think he was maybe thinking like he could he could do just that. Like, he could plant that garden, and it's technically his property, and they could just destroy it uh, absentmindedly, you know, because they're just backing out of the driveway. He could exaggerate things, call the police, or get some other legal thing involved, and maybe do another lawsuit, just like with the bridge, and then maybe that would finally get the neighbors to be like, all right, fine, you know, you win, and then maybe they would leave. I think he wanted them to leave. I think he was trying to do all these things to try to get them to move out. But even if they left, I mean, it's not like their house would be bulldozed or anything. He just have, no. He just have a new neighbor, you know that that would live in that quote unquote. Yeah, funky but for house. his OCD at that time, you know that that would have been, you know, he would have been able to at least have a moment of peace. I don't. It's it's like literally what this culminates to. It is crazy. But, I mean, but hey, he's not. He's he's. He's clearly doing this stuff. I mean, he was, he already was escalating it because. I do not believe for one second that someone else broke into the house or poisoned the animals. I think that was all Kenny. That was all, once again, part of his plan to scare them away. Yeah, this guy uh, is just just ultimate troll. Just trolling. I mean, God forbid, like, if this fucking guy saw a house that's in my neighborhood, this hoarder house, like, he'd have a fucking heart attack. <laughs> he wouldn't have the... He wouldn't have the time to be able to do any of this fucked up shit he would later do because he would just drop dead right then and there. (laughs) 
So uh, a few hours later, he would claim he was backing out of his uh, he was backing out of his driveway and saw Grimes driving back and forth and destroying the garden. Blah blah blah. Kenny pulled out his camera and snapped this picture of Elizabeth as she was supposedly charging her car up, you know, at him in his driveway and blocking him in. Then again, his story: uh, she assaulted him and yanked his the camera uh, like the strap on his camera, she yanked it so hard that his head slammed against the door frame of the car, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious to think about. Yeah. Just hear like a, you know, a, a comic sound effect too. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, yeah, that's sound like cartoon violence right there. Yeah. So then it, you got Joyce Scampa saying after that episode, things really accelerated with the hatred, the spewing of words and the fear. And I would say the fear was something that we thought was, was overly emphasized, but in fact was real. And then Keith Morrison with his cheeky little way saying, and the cold war was now hot. It's funny <laughs> on many levels. Cause that, it, you know, obviously over dramatizing saying that this was the cold war between these two people, but uh -huh. it kind of was. And now it's getting hot. Yep. The feud between John Kenny and his neighbors, Mel and Elizabeth Grimes had reached a boiling point. Now there had been a physical altercation. Kenny went to the hospital after the camera strap tussle. Hospital records indicate he suffered a cervical strain, aww, a concussion, and a contusion to his forehead. He was given a soft cervical collar for comfort. He went to church the next... <laughs> if you can't tell, I'm, I'm just slightly biased here a little bit. Can, can you imagine, like, if your doctor, like, talked to you like that? <laughs> oh, you got a little cervical strain in a concuscus. Here's a, here's a soft cervical collar for comfort and a little kiss on, a little kiss on the forehead. <laughs> so he went to church the next day and parishioners said they noticed a visible difference. Now, this is so funny to me. Like, again... The dude is a troll. This is the kind of person you hear about that like sues McDonald's because of their hot coffee. You know, hey, it, when you look back at that case, like initially I was like, oh, come on. But like you actually what there's a documentary called Hot Coffee. I think really I actually good. think I saw it. Yeah. And you find out that the lady actually had a case. Well, because coffee was way hotter than it should have been. Well, anyway, my point is, is that this is one of like whenever you hear like of these sue happy Americans. Well, this is like the one where somebody sues the the fast food restaurant for making them fat. Yeah, you know, exactly. That's not really, it's, it's it's come on. So you know, <laughs> this is where things get even more ridiculous. It's not their fault. <laughs> so Kim Williams, who went to uh, the church with uh, John Kenny, said that he showed up with a neck brace and a cane, and his gait was definitely different about how he was able to walk. He was more hesitant in his speech, even, and I think quite traumatized by the whole incident. Christine Williams. We were concerned, and I asked what happened. He said, well, Elizabeth reached into my car and grabbed my camera, which had a strap on it, and it pulled against my neck and hit, you know, pulled me into the car and, you know, assaulted, uh, assaulted me. Sure. Now, when you look at this particular case, like this particular incident, you only hear his side of the story. You could easily, easily conceivably think that maybe he might have just made made it up. Like he could have like injured himself and then made it look like they did it. And then I mean, it, it, it's it's one of those things. And it's like really like I don't I don't know. Like when you don't hear both sides of the story, it's it's kind of it's not 
Not that believable. That's why, dude. That's why I don't like jump all over these news articles because it's like, okay, that's your that's your side. That's what you say. I wasn't that. I say this. This is like my mantra. If I wasn't there, and I don't trust the news, then I can't have an opinion on it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there, and I don't trust the news. And I've been saying that way before. Trump with his hacky fake news, fake news. <laughs> like I've been, I've been saying that shit way before Trump coined that fucking fake news phrase. Um, I I don't trust the news and I wasn't there, so I'm not going to have an opinion on it. But anyway, going back to this story, church friends urged him to go back to the hospital. My God, a bunch of fucking Nancy's living up in this part of the uh, country. And it was caramel. 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 Caramel, not caramel. In addition to the concussion, he was now also diagnosed with signs of post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh my God, you got to give me a break. Well, I think he probably might have legit post-traumatic stress disorder, but not because of this, because he was, I think he was in the Again, military. It's like, it's like you plant a fucking garden in front of someone's driveway, they back over it, the, they retaliate, and now you have post-traumatic stress disorder and you have all these problems. It's like, bitch. You were setting yourself up for that. No, exactly. That's like, but I think he already has post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's one of those things where they diagnosed it, but he already had it to begin with before any of this happened because of his uh, time in the military. Yeah, I mean, no, that's a, that's a fair point. He could have already had like the chemical imbalance that yeah. cause that causes post-traumatic stress and, the, and, it, and was triggered by this neighborly conflict. He already knew he had PTSD, probably, and then he just, that's another thing that he was able to be like, oh, poor I me. Can, yeah, I can manipulate now this I'm to work. post-traumatic yeah. stress disorder due to your actions. So according to the Grimes, it was, uh, it was Kenny who lunged at her from inside his car, causing her to trip and became entangled with his camera strap, which sounds just as made up as his story, honestly. And then each side took out a restraining order on the other. Like, what a bunch of bitches. Like, I have never met a more litigious, petty group of people. And honestly, from the description, the Grimes seem like cool people. John Kenny seems like a dick. Well, obviously, he was a dick with that whole driveway incident. But he's being such a troll. He's setting himself... That'd be like me going up to a big fucking dude in the bar and being like, you know, you look like a you look like a douchebag. Look at your stupid mustache. Look at your stupid tattoos. Yeah. Hey, it's illegal for you to touch me, though. You better not put your hands on me, but you look fucking stupid. Hey, does it annoy you that I'm standing here and insulting you? And then the guy just finally hauls off and socks me right in the face. And then I get on social media and I'm like, this man assaulted me and I have post-traumatic stress now. And all I was doing was calling him a dick the whole night and saying how stupid he looked. I'm the victim. (laughs) It's like, if that's not like classic American bullshit, I don't know what is. Uh, Like, that is like, that is America at its worst, that kind of shit. That'd be great instead of like American justice, it's America, American bullshit. That's, that's, that's the show. It's just... And dude, do you know how much like work it takes to take out a restraining order against somebody? Because I actually had to look into that at one point because like this uh, bandmate chick that I used to work with, her boyfriend became like obsessed with her and therefore he became obsessed with me because he, he didn't like all the time she was spending with me and how much fun she seemed to have with me and made him like uber jealous. And uh, he, yeah, he did some weird shit like stalking me and shit. So I like looked into getting a restraining order. You have to like fucking go to the courthouse you have to like the other person has to show up. You have to do all this shit 
So I can totally understand when people are like, you know, like uh-huh. if a chick is getting stalked or harassed, oh, just take yeah. out a restraining order against them. It's actually kind of a lot of work to do that. It's not as mm-hmm. easy as people makes it seem. Like you have to go yeah. kind of jump through a bunch of hoops. So two days later, much to Kenny's surprise and humiliation, Elizabeth showed up at his weekly men's Bible class at the church and aired for everyone to hear the dirty laundry. Asked Kenny's fellow churchmen to pray for them, and Kenny was mortified. And Elizabeth's son saw his mother change. I remember growing up, my mom was always like, have faith in people, trust people, love people. People are good. You know, the world is great. And now what did she say? Don't trust people, son. People are mean. <laughs> people are out to get you. You know, it, it just, it, it was a whole different outlook on life. John Kenny was also a changed man. Soon after the church incident, his daughters went to spend the summer with him. He asked them not to talk to the Grimes, but he wouldn't say why. They asked about his neck brace. He said he fell in the garden. Keith Morrison is quoted here. So what was he like then? Uh, Segal and Kennedy uh, is interviewed at this particular moment. He was not talkative. He was not his usual funny, happy self. No, no, no. He was tired, even. I would say exhausted. He was anxious. Yeah, he was scared. Meanwhile, her father's nemesis, Mel Grimes, had his own reasons to be afraid, quite apart from the dispute with John Kenny. Suddenly, the marathon runner encountered serious heart trouble. Tom Ellington Willis is quoted again. It kind of just hit him like a freight train one day. He would walk up the staircase in the house and, just like his heartbeat, just became real irregular. Operations followed. He stopped running. His doctors told him to avoid stress. Instead, the neighbors escalated their feud. They went public at a meeting of the Monterey County Planning Commission, dueling statements, and Mel Grimes went first. The one thing that I do regret more than anything else is the trauma that has caused my wife over the last two years to go for this. She's had periods of time where she simply vomited, cried, or couldn't sleep. And that was Mel Grimes, by the way. Mm -hmm. John Kenny. None of us, and none of you either, would tolerate a neighbor building something or trashing something or doing anything which damaged the value of your own property and the enjoyment of your own property. So these, these both these motherfuckers went to the Monterey County Planning Commission, and they were both mm-hmm. bitching about one another to this planning commission, like the babies that they were. Can you imagine people in the audience or the people in the planning commission just being like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like this yeah, is the whatever, kind of, this is the kind of shit I got to deal with, you know, <laughs> that my job entails. And I mean, the, the fact that both of them like started having these health problems, like, yeah, like they were mentally fatigued. And I mean, yeah, it sucks. Physically fatigued. It's, too? It sucks living, like having to, you know, your home should be your sanctuary and you're having to share it or share it with this constant feeling of, of uh, I guess fear or in you know, because these are you know the hippies are probably very just annoyance and irritating, just totally irritating. Well, I mean the Grimes are probably these very non-confrontational people, and I'm sure John Kenny, you hear him speak, you know, in this this uh, show, and he seems like a very well-educated, non-confrontational man. So as soon as any you know drama like this starts boiling up, like neither one of these parties like confrontation, so I'm sure it does fuck mm-hmm. with their anxiety. Yeah. Wars between countries or neighbors have their own escalating grammar, and such was the case here, through one issue after another, as it got worse and worse and worse. 
and the old engineer, Mr. Kenny, would look out of his window there across the hillside and see what he considered to be the dog-patch development of his neighbor, the lawyer, Mr. Grimes. And the Grimes, for their part, looked back to Kenny's house and saw an inflexible and angry old man. But conflicts like this eventually have to settle on something concrete, something tangible. And so the war between the neighbors focused on one little piece of ground right there just at the edge of the pavement. A piece of land no bigger than a surfboard, really. And that was the stage for the battle to come. John Kenny, remember, tried to grow a garden on that patch of dirt as a way to block use of it to get to their carport. And that didn't work. So now he turned to lawyers. The best and cheapest option, Kenny's attorneys advised, was to place a rock, a very large rock, on that little strip in front of the carport. Kenny prepared. He hired a security consultant, the Monterey County Sheriff agreed to stand by when the rock was put in place. Then, a pause. In October 20, 2016, a fa- Six. Oh, God damn it. In October 2006, a family emergency sent Kenny back to France. He spent the holidays there with his wife and daughters. Keith Morrison. What was he like at that time? Segley and Kenny. The same he was in Carmel. Keith Morrison. He was nervous. Anxious. Not very happy? Not nervous. Scared of something. Scared? Yeah. He didn't want to go back. The Grimes were away too that season. Tom Ellington Wills. They were out of town, exactly. They were in Hawaii. So, for once, peace on that troubled hillside. And then, January 2007, Kenny came back from France, the Grimes back from Hawaii. The climax. And then you got Elizabeth Brett Grimes going, Get off! He's got a gun! John Kenny came back from Europe in, 2000, in January 2007. It was time to launch his plan to end the war with his neighbors. Once home, Kenny went to, the, the, went to this nursery and bought a rock barrier, a one-ton boulder. He emailed his attorney with orders to call the sheriff for a civil standby. His rock was delivered at 3 p.m. on January 29, 2007. His security consultant and attorney were on hand when it arrived in case things became volatile. The promised sheriff's deputy didn't show, but nothing happened. Mel and Elizabeth Grimes were not home yet. Tom Ellington Wills. He was coming from work from Salinas out where the courthouse is, and she was on the peninsula. Up on the hill, the lawyer and consultant gave Kenny strict orders. Stay in the house. Call 911 at any sign of trouble. And then they left. Kenny's family said he felt abandoned, dismayed. He was 72, frightened, alone. The Grimes were on their way. Okay. The lawyer and the security consultant are telling him to stay inside and call 911 at any sign of trouble. So they're all looking at the situation going... There's going to be trouble because this crazy yep. old man is getting a boulder put in front of these people's uh-huh. fucking driveway, but he's paying us money to be his security consultant mm-hmm. and his attorney. So we're not. I didn't know why either one of them didn't call 911 themselves. Well, because it was. It was what are they going to say? It was legal. It was his property. He could. It, it, yeah. it was like the supreme unwritten rule of not being a dick to, yeah. to not put a boulder in front of your neighbor's driveway, even if it is your property, quote-unquote. But John Kenny just wasn't having that. 
And then this guy's such, I mean, pardon my language here, he's such a fucking pussy that he's going to say, I feel abandoned and dismayed. I'm 72. I'm frightened. And then on the other <laughs> hand, he's going to be like, hey, I'm going to buy this boulder and put it in front of their fucking driveway. But I'm dismayed. I'm frightened. I'm. It's like you are such a sociopath that it's not yep. even fucking funny. Mm-hmm. I'm spitting on my windscreen right now. I'm so I'm so <laughs> fucking like, wh- what is this guy insane? He's sitting here bitching about like feeling dismayed and, and scared and this and the other. Well, dude, don't put a boulder in front of these people's driveway who are obviously pretty easygoing fucking people, but you would never know that because you won't stop being an instigating cocksucker to them. Yeah, because not uh, like in most instances, neighbors wouldn't really have that much trouble with each other with this particular situation. It would just be like, oh, okay, you know, yeah, this is technically my property. And then it'd be like a little joke, you know, but hey, that's my property. Come on, man. You know, no, never mind. It it doesn't matter, you know, because I drive on your property too. So, you know, we're neighbors. It's cool. No problem. You know? So it's just one of those things that's like most most situations and most people this this wouldn't escalate to this point. It would just be like no big deal. But because you have a guy who's a clear-cut sociopath, then it becomes a big deal. So Tom Ellington Wills, he's quoted here, they met for a light dinner and then they drove home and Keith Morrison texting each other along the way. Uh, they text. Okay. I guess people were texting in the early 2000s. I completely forgot. I thought that was like a 2010 thing. No, when that dude, was like texting really... has been around since like pretty much the <laughs> beginning of cell phones. I remember back when it was like super expensive to send a text message. Yeah. You'd have separate, you have to, ha- you had to have a separate text messaging plan on your phone. Yeah. It seems like text messages were a pain in the ass to send back they then. They were too. totally. Like, they totally were a pain in the ass, and they were only tiny ass fucking buttons, and they have to do the whole thing. Well, actually, and, the buttons yeah. were bigger, and they were actual buttons. They weren't just like representations of buttons behind a glass screen, like now. Uh, yeah, uh, I have an old phone. I can I can t- look at it right now, and uh, it was a pain. In, it was a Sony Ericsson. It's not that old, and I had a flip phone before, but no, it was a pain in the ass to do text on. Honestly, I, I think yeah. I mean. It, it, it was a pain in the ass before they came out with T9, the that predictive text. Yeah. Like, T9 was pretty good. Because you had, like, you had to press the numbers, you know, two, three, four. So you had to be like, okay, I need A. So you press two. And then I need M, you know, or whatever. You press six. And yeah, it was a pain in the ass. So nowadays, it's super easy to text. And it actually autofills. And I'm really glad for that because um, I'm slow as hell. I don't know. I wouldn't say it's super easy to text. I make a lot of typos. Like when I first got an iPhone and I was switching from like the like the actual cell phone buttons to a, a screen with like yeah. a full 40 keyboard. Um, I, I use autocorrect. Yeah, but <laughs> autocorrect fucks you over a lot of times though too. It, it, can, it can fuck you over a few times, but you just keep an eye but on it. But when I saw the full good. keyboard, I'm like, I have to like type out each individual fucking yeah. letter. Well, here's what I do. Like I don't let autocorrect automatically put shit in. Like I have this thing set up where it'll pop stuff up when I'm like, yes, I want that. And then you click on it and then it puts it in. So it doesn't auto just put in random shit. Honestly, either way, I fucking hate texting. I'd rather call someone or hang out in person. I hate texting. 
I'm I, I used to be that way, but you know what? I'm starting to I'm starting to understand why people like texting, but only like when you're like trying to be like, hey, are you going to be able to pick me up from work? Right, you little know, that short kind of bits of information that doesn't yes. even warrant a phone call. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So they were texting each other along the way, and it goes back to Tom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, I love you and can't wait to see you. You know, can't wait to get home. At five thirty, the Grimes in their separate cars arrived at the top of the hill. Mel first. He saw the boulder, ran to his tool shed, got a shovel and a sledgehammer. Elizabeth arrived, saw Mel with his heart condition, swinging the sledgehammer. She grabbed the cordless house phone. Uh, so now I'm going to actually insert the uh, the 911 call as it actually happened, so you can actually hear for yourself, and then we'll jump in. 911? Yeah, we have an emergency at 82 Hitchcock Canyon Road in Cumber Valley. What's the problem? Um, our neighbor has blocked our driveway. My husband, who doesn't have a good heart, is out there trying to break down with a sledgehammer. Okay, this is 82 Hitchcock Road. And he's blocked in Carmel Valley. He's blocked the driveway with what? With a big, huge boulder so that we can't get our cars out. We share a mutual driveway. Where is the neighbor at? He's in his house. Then, striking sounds are heard on the 911 call. Grimes is hitting the boulder. His wife tells him, stop. No, don't touch it. Let the police come. Don't, don't do that, Mel. Don't, Mel. What is he doing? Then they argue about whether Elizabeth should go up to Kenny's house. But not for long. Kenny emerges, walks down his driveway toward the Grimes and the boulder. Elizabeth confronts him. Here he is now. about to hear is disturbing. was that was uh that was very disturbing you actually hear so two people being fucking murdered when i first saw this this part of this episode i was speechless for 30 seconds if not more than that i i could not come up with any words to describe how i was feeling it was that 
stunning and that horrific. I mean, and then when you hear the like, I love you from both of them, I mean, oh my God. Dying words, the dying words, I love you. I mean, that's, that's, that's insane. That, that is insane. And these people were coming home from a light dinner, you know, texting I love yous to each other. I can't wait to see you. They come home. Mel sees this fucking boulder in his driveway. And he just fucking loses it. As I as would I. But I don't know if I would have started hitting it with a sledgehammer, though. Yeah, no. Especially if I had a heart condition and I just came out of the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, he's so mad. And then she's like losing her shit. And then old. This is what I would do. I would just call the police. I would be like, you know, all right, this has gone gotten way too out of hand. I mean, I can't even park in my driveway. I know it's technically his property, but I can't get to my car. I can't park. I, th- this is just this. Th- there has to be something illegal here. <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, and then if the police were called, then maybe, you know, nobody would have would have died. But um, it's one of those things where I guess just, just he reached his breaking point and decided to use a sledgehammer to try to break through it. And that set off uh, our OCD sociopath, uh, Mr. Kenny. Now, now, Kenny, I that might have been part of his plan. I don't know. I don't know with this guy. I don't know if that was his plan to begin with. Like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna set up this boulder that's gonna get the that's gonna get them out, and then I'm gonna kill him. It's just so out of character when you spend your whole life with no criminal record. Yep, this doctor. Well, it's like that one guy. Remember on Unsolved Mysteries, the, the, who like uh, killed someone, buried them in the backyard. The old guy. Yeah, he killed his wife and buried her under yeah. the uh, the compost heap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was insane. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it was. People, psh, I don't know. This is where we still have the unexplained part, folks. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly <laughs> because it is still unknown to this day like what leads people to do this kind of shit like what exactly is causing these these tendencies and these thought pro these uh thought processes like what type of wiring or lack of thereof leads to these type of horrific crimes and again that troll like mentality because the guy was told to stay in his fucking house and call 911 if something happens but what does he do he goes outside with a gun. With a gun. With a gun and confronts these people. The dude is like just literally setting these people up in a trap. Mm-hmm. Almost like a, a murder trap. Yep. So anyway, down the hill, Kim Williams heard the gunshots, remembered Kenny's feud, and headed up the canyon road. Kim Williams is quoted as saying, it was like, this can't be happening. But, you know, the reality was Mel was dead and he was lying on the ground there and Elizabeth was near death. Elizabeth's friend, Elise Bat- Batty, was on her way home, heard the sirens and saw the helicopter arrive. Elise, I had no idea the person we watched from this location being unloaded from the ambulance and put into the helicopter was in fact my best friend. I watched and witnessed this event. Whoever it was to me at that point, it was horribly horrific, and it sh- really shattered the safety we felt in Carmel Valley. 
Elizabeth Grimes died en route to a trauma center. Mm. Her son, Tom, answered a knock at the door and tried to listen to what the policeman said. I really have some bad news for you. And I'm like, what's going on? And he goes, oh, your dad's dead. And then he said, and your mom is dead too. And I just, I mean, I fell to the ground. I just, you, you know, I'm thinking car accident. I'm thinking, you know, how could they both go? You know, they just got back from Hawaii. It must be a car accident. And as soon as, I'll never forget it, as soon as the sheriff told my wife or told us that my mom was dead too, she looked at me and said, oh my God, the neighbor. Nine, nine time zones away in Nancy, France, John Kenny's wife, a gynecologist, was in the midst of a consultation when she got a telephone call. Her John Kenny involved in a murder? Incomprehensible. She told her daughters the news when she got home. Sagaline Kenny. And I just said, it can't be. This is terrible. It can't be. How do you process a thing like that? I immediately said to myself that my dad, as an honest man, has felt in danger and that he had to do it for him to stay alive. He was arrested, of course, right outside his house. (laughs) I love that. It's just like, he was arrested, of course. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Kim, Kim Williams is quoted as saying I saw Jack being they called him Jack as well it was John and nicknamed Jack I saw mm-hmm. I saw Jack being escorted from his driveway his head was hung he was slumped over he just looked like the world had come to an end John Kenny the brilliant petroleum engineer the law and order man was charged with first degree murder there would be a trial and he would take the witness to stand witness stand to explain why he killed his neighbors this is the judge uh, quoted here. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. We are on, on the record in the case of People versus Kenny. John Kenny went on trial in August 2008 for the murder of the neighbors he had learned to so thoroughly despise that he pulled the trigger and took their lives was not in question. But was it first degree premeditated murder or was it self-defense by a frightened elderly man? The only surviving witness, of course, was Kenny himself and he was about to tell the jury his version of the story. The judge would not allow Kenny's face to be recorded on camera while he testified, but he was recorded on audio tape. And this is Kenny. I was in a high state of fear. I was alone and vulnerable. He was upstairs making dinner, he said, and when he heard a rapping sound, though he wasn't wearing his hearing aid, the sound seemed to come from the sliding glass door facing his driveway. Panic. He went to his bedroom and grabbed his pistol. He opened his door and saw Elizabeth Grimes on his deck. He said she swore at him. He told her to get off his property. He tried to shoo her away. He took a step forward and she took a step back. Back and forth, all the way down his driveway. Then he saw Mel Grimes. This is Kenny again. He was standing next to the barrier rock in his business clothes, with a sledgehammer in his hand, in a frenzy, striking the my barrier rock. And now from the witness stand, Kenny made a stunning claim that he was attacked. I said, stop that. Get off my property. I think I only got halfway through it when Elizabeth Grimes came up behind me and slammed me in the back of the head. I seem to recall that just after she did it, she started screaming as if she were being attacked. And then the heart of Kenny's case, the accused Mel Grimes of charging him with that deadly sledgehammer raised like a battering ram. This is Kenny again. It was at that moment I realized that they have entrapped me. And when I drew my pistol, I did not intend to kill anybody. That was my lifeline to get out of there. He slammed right into me. The sledgehammer hit a grazing blow 
on my left upper arm. I was grappling with him for a minute to get away from me. And at the same time, when he, at the same moment, he pulled the sledgehammer back for a second strike. I cracked him across the front of the face with the, with, with the pistol. Then he pulled the trigger. Well, it knocked him off his pins to my left. I fired once at him, once at her, paused for a moment, once at him, and then there was a scary situation, and there's a longer pause between the third and the fourth shot, and it hit her, again, apparently. Oh my god, it happened so fast, this was a pandemonium. I was acting half on instinct and self-preservation. I wasn't thinking much of anything. I wasn't thinking of anything except to save my life. Kenny admitted he fired, the gr fired at the Grimes four times. A fifth shot, he claimed, was a simple accident, and the bullet went into the ground. I think, I think my hands were shaking so badly that my thumb slipped off the hammer and, and the gun fired and that the receiver came back and ripped a big gash in my thumb. Why did he fire that gun? Military training, he said. First, I was being attacked by multiple two, more than one person. My training in the army had been being attacked by multiple, multiple assailants. Take them all down. One, two, three, four. And that, he said, was self-defense. After Kenny finished his story, the prosecutor asked him a question. Does he feel any remorse? Since remorse, I hate to sound like a school teacher, but you know, remorse is sadness attributable to a sense of guilt. I, I feel terrible about everything that happened, but I do not feel remorse because I do not feel guilt. And <laughs> that's a pretty damning statement. That really proves how much of a sociopath this guy is because he's like, I don't feel any remorse. I don't feel any... I mean, even if it was somebody I didn't even know personally you, you, and you shot them, like if somebody broke in your house, you shot him. Like, you would still feel like, oh my God, I killed yeah, someone. Yeah, and I would feel... Even you if know? I was justified, I would totally feel guilty afterward. I'd feel like I, I killed... I took a life. I don't care if I yeah. was justified in doing it. I took a life. I feel guilty. I feel... I, I, yeah. I, I Dude, I don't even like stepping on cockroaches. Unless it's quick. You know, if it's a real quick thing and... I'm aware of with that. I, mean, I, I just, you know, I don't it. like, I don't like killing things. I just, it's not a good feeling yeah. to see something that was alive and moving around and doing shit. And then it just lays there dead. I just don't like it. So in uh -huh. this guy's can, his, his, his testimony was so clinical and clean and rehearsed yep. and, and, uh, just, uh, just on. Well, I mean, all these other injuries he's talking about, like, how about we prove it? Like with the sledgehammer blows, like, do you have proof? Like you have any well, medical, conveniently the sledgehammer, you know, it was a grazing blow, meaning it just yeah. it just kind of touched him a little bit. It didn't uh -huh. didn't actually it wasn't like a yeah. direct hit. So there, conveniently, yeah. there's not going to really be any evidence of that. Now, is there, John Kenny? Nope. Your turn. All right. So um, where are we at? Since remorse. Okay. Nor did Kenny. So because uh, he said, but I do not feel remorse because I do not feel guilt. Nor did Kenny feel any guilt or remorse right after the incident, claimed the prosecutor. At least he certainly didn't seem to when he placed his own 911 call. Here, minutes after shooting his neighbors, the prosecutor uh, said the prosecutor, Kenny expresses concern only for himself. 911, what's your emergency? Yes, um, I'm at 80 South Bank Road. Yes, sir. I have an emergency. What type of emergency? I've been assaulted again by two people. You've been assaulted? Yes, I have. Okay. Are you injured? Yes. Do you need an ambulance? No. Okay, who assaulted you? Mel Grimes, Jr. And how do you know these people, sir? They're my next-door neighbors. Okay. 
Okay, and what did they do to you? Well, they rushed at me, tried to assault me. For what? What's going on? Um, that's as much I, I think I should say right now. No, you need to live, give me as much information as possible so I can let the officers know that are responding, sir. Uh, Why did your neighbors do this? Oh my God, I really can't tell. I hope you'll come out here, please. Sir, I need some information. Hello? And at his trial, he was consistent. It wasn't he who started it, said Kenny. It, was, it wasn't his fault. And if that were the only story the jury heard, but it wasn't. After all, when Elizabeth Grimes called 911 from her driveway that fateful afternoon, the whole incident, the climax of that long war, was recorded through her telephone. And now the entire tape was played in open court. Every disturbing moment. The, he's got a gun. The John Kenny, yeah, help. Both, yeah, the way he said it was like sinister. You know, he's got a gun. It's like, yeah, help. Like he was, he was begging for her to like say, like, help me. You know, it's like no one's gonna help you type thing. Both were shot twice. A bullet hit Elizabeth in the back, so the jury heard the shots. They heard them die. They heard their last words to each other. I love you. And they heard this last fifth shot almost 15 seconds after the fourth. What was that? Kenny said the gun slipped. Prosecutor Berkeley Brannon countered that it was fact proof that this was not a question of self-defense. Then you have Berkeley Brannon. The defendant shot Elizabeth Grimes while she was down on the ground, helpless. It was a coup de grace shot. Or was it, as defense attorney Daniel almost told the ju- jury, was was it something else entirely? Then you have Daniel almost the defense attorney. Do not let the prosecution convince you that this case is about a patch of dirt. This case is about a seventeen, a seventy-two-year-old man who feared for his life. If it was a seventeen-year-old man, that would be like really yeah. a seventeen-year-old boy who was like <laughs> fucking patch of dirt. Maybe and shit. in Neverland Ranch there. <laughs> Just joking. Um, then you have Berkeley Brandon. Wouldn't that be too old? Maybe. <laughs> Sorry. I don't believe any of that, by the way. I think none of that never. I am not trying to even get on that tangent. You have Berkeley Brannon. He thinks it's a struggle between good and evil. He wanted to be in control. If Kenny's attitude were on trial, it seemed, he would surely lose. But the law doesn't measure attitude, it measures justice. The jury in the trial of John Kenny, accused of murdering his next door neighbors, had a disturbing duty. To consider evidence, yes, but as part of that job, to listen to an audio tape of two people dying. Over and over they heard it. The, the sounds teased into something like clarity, enhanced to allow the jury to comprehend what happened here. The jury foreman told us what he thought. Mike, take it from here. Michael Jones. I think this is the jury foreman. Mrs. Grimes is on the phone with the phone to her ear and saying, Mel, the sheriff's company, coming. And we can hear Mr. Grimes say, good. Two seconds later, she's attacked. Or, or there's an altercation. It seems incredulous that she's going to say the sheriff's coming. Uh, no, she's got 911 on the phone, and then all of a sudden she's going to launch into an attack of him. I think he he attacked her, knocked the phone out of her hand. Mr. Grimes died trying to defend his wife. For the jurors, the case boiled down to two things. The 911 tape and... This is Michael Jones again. He shot a woman in the back. He shot a defenseless woman in the back. He hides this gun under his belt. He goes down there, 
and he knows the reaction he's going to get from he's too smart not to know this then of course he shoots mrs grimes in the back and this is about as irrefutable as it gets you didn't have to shoot that woman and so they were unanimous yeah, exactly i mean you know you didn't you didn't have to shoot the woman no you, you knew it's, it's just like he said he's he, this guy john kenny was too smart not to know that the react the reaction he was going to get by going down there, he was told by his attorney and his defense counselor or whatever, or security counsel, not to go down there, to call 911 if anything happens. This guy was a provocateur, and mm -hmm. it, it, and he didn't have to shoot him. And, and being shot in the back is completely indicative that somebody was fleeing from you, was running away. Now, I've heard, and I, I don't know if this is 100% fact, but I hear that in law enforcement... If the suspect is running away from you, you are never to shoot them because they are not a mm -hmm. threat to you. If they're running away from you, they are not a threat to you. So you do not shoot somebody running away. You never do that. They are trying to escape. You are not in immediate danger at that point. This guy, this old man is so full of shit, it's not even funny. So... The answers were unanimous. Court clerk Sally Lopez. We find the jury. We the jury. We find the jury. <laughs> Can you imagine that? We find the jury guilty. Keep it going, Mike. What? <laughs> we we the jury find the defendant, John Franklin Kenny, guilty. Kenny was convicted of second-degree murder for killing Mel Grimes and first-degree murder for killing Elizabeth because the jury decided he shot her when she was down. At his sentencing, John Kenny said that he had not broken God's sixth commandment, Thou shalt not kill. Many of his friends stood by him. Kim Williams, we don't know what actually happened up here. There. We know what Jack says happened, and we have no reason to not dis reason to disbelieve him. Really? Okay. Alright. Christine Williams, there's another side to Jack that just what was shown in court and what was shown in the newspapers, that he's a real person. He's a brilliant person. He's a good friend and a good father and a good husband. Prosecutor Berkeley Brandon says he doesn't doubt the statements made by Kenny's friends and family. Berkeley Brandon, he's led a fruitful life and he threw it away. So he did. But still, said the prosecutor, the man doesn't seem to get it. I think he honestly does not feel remorse. And I think that this perspective comes from a certitude that whatever he did, it was right and fine and justified. John Kenny was sentenced to life, no chance ever of parole, an imprisoned sole living survivor of a petty feud that turned into an unnecessary war. Tom Ellington Willis is uh, quoted here, to know that the rest of your life you'll spend in a cell and you won't be able to experience the beauty of life anymore? That's that's what I hope for. I I just want him to, you know, regret the rest of his life. Living the rest of his life in prison, to me, is justice. Kenny's daughter and wife were in court to hear the verdict. And when the, then they went back to their town in France. And all they had to take with them was their memory. Segling Kenny... I can understand the emotion of distress and the pain of the Grimes' family, but we are also very much suffering. If you have a message for him now, what would that be? I'm okay. And it takes some doing to be okay, doesn't it? Around Carmel Valley, more than a few once testy neighbors have been a little friendlier lately. Kim Williams is quoted here. 
I can't tell you how many people have commented that they've mended fences. And up at, top of the, up at the top of that winding, leafy road, up among the oak and the sycamore, the earthly possessions of those two doomed lives are scattered, abandoned among the whimsical keepsakes of a house no one lives in. And across the road, outside that ever stark and empty place, buckets of firewood, the old engineer had so carefully sorted according to size, are still lined up just so. And the neighborhood is quiet, like a tomb. Mm. 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 Fortissimo, Keith Morrison. Fortissimo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was great. That was a great, uh, great story. It was a great ending. I yep. mean, and, and they're literally showing the houses. The houses are both like exactly kind of how they were. One man's mm-hmm. in jail for the rest of his, you know, short remaining life because the dude was already old. You know, he's probably dead by now. I can almost promise you that. Well, he tried to uh, do the case over in 2008 or something, and it was upheld. The conviction was upheld. Good. I mean, dude, it was murder. I mean, it, 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 I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, even if it was self-defense, quote unquote, the dude still two people are not alive and he is. And it wasn't like they were breaking into his house or anything like that. This was outside. Mm -hmm. He could have not gone out there. You know, they wouldn't have killed him. I can tell you that much. They weren't. They might have. They might have gotten in his face, but they wouldn't have killed him. You know, this case, it starts off kind of comical. You know, we're like, Haha, oh, the fucking boulder. Like, this guy's nuts. You know, you're thinking like, oh, it's just going to lead into some more petty disagreements. And, you know, maybe, you know, the cops will be called. But, you know, you're not thinking that something like that is going to escalate into something deadly. And it does. That's what makes this such a shocking and, and memorable case. And we haven't really done it justice. I mean, you know, even though we read the entire transcript, you, you, if if you you should still give this this uh, a watch if if you yeah. uh, if you're curious. But I mean, yeah, even like that phone call though, man, that fifth shot because you hear, pow, 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 like that's it, yeah. literally t- it's it's like listening to the 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 audio from the re, you know the shooting with at the Madden tournament oh yeah so listen to yeah that. it's very disturbing but that fifth shot though where it's like all that time goes by and then the the, the coup de gras shot as the uh, prosecutor calls it yep and that's right after one of them says i love you i think and too. you know you know that that uh you know that shot was probably uh, intended for uh elizabeth that third shot you know into her or the fifth shot total but you know they both were shot twice but it hit the ground or whatever or apparently misfired, according to him. But yeah, I mean, what a crazy bastard! You're someone who seem was seemingly not crazy, but did a really crazy thing. And I'm yeah, I mean, this is a cut and dry case for me. Well, yeah, me too. I mean, it's one of those things where he probably got away with hiding his sociopathic tendencies for years, and then as he was no longer employed and he no longer had these things to keep his sociopathic mind. Uh, on something else because you can take your sociopathic tendencies and then apply them to your your work yeah instead of your life and i i think you know when he retired and then then those sociopathic tendencies really started to uh become more and more prevalent he didn't have the work to focus those tendencies onto 
So now it was on life. And I think he might have also been dealing with some legitimate PTSD from his time in the military. Or, you know, he's getting older and maybe getting a little senile. You never know. Um, that doesn't give him any excuses for what he did because it was cold and calculated. And I think he was doing all this stuff to set him up. It was it was almost like he was playing with them, playing them. He was playing with them like a like a cat would be playing with its prey, you know, or a spider, you know, would, would be, you know, waiting for its, you know, prey to suffocate in, in the web. You know, it's one of those things. It's like he just created this web for his his prey to fall into and then you know he's killed him yeah it, it it doesn't seem like it's one of those things where all of these things i mean he i think he was you know killed animals he was killing their animals and i think he just in his deranged mind at that point it was just like they're the enemy dude they need to we, need to die we had they a, need to go me and my uh former roommate we had a uh, a guy like this um mm -hmm. across the street from us he was like super anal about the noise that we were making. Like yeah. we were always waking him up. Apparently this dude had the most sensitive hearing. I know I've already talked about on the podcast before, but yeah, I mean, there'd be times where I, you know, it was understandable that he, you know, knocked on our door and told us to like, you know, keep the noise down. Cause we were probably being a little drunk and ridiculous and it was super late. Then there are other times where like, you know, we'd just be like doing something real casual, you know, like I was singing karaoke in the garage, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, which was a considerable ways from his house. And he would come up knocking, he would walk, he would open the gate to our backyard, walk to the garage, knock on the door. It was like a psychopath, like, oh my God, who's this motherfucker in the, in the door, in the window? It, you know, he was scary. And I, I one time I told him, I said, hey, man, why don't you just give me your phone number so you can just text me or something and we'll and I'll stop right away. That way you don't have to keep coming over here like this. And then yeah. and then his response was, why don't you stop being a why don't you guys stop being dicks? Wow. <laughs> and the last time I think I saw him was he was knocking on the door and he, he started walking away because he wasn't. You know, we weren't I, I didn't hear him knocking until because mm -hmm. I was in the garage and he yeah. was knocking on the front door of our house. And the only reason I heard him was uh, my my roommate's dog was barking huh. incessantly in the house. And I was like, why? The, I was huh. like, why the fuck is Bear barking so much? So I walk in the house and go up to the front door. And I opened the front door enough just to see that he was already walking back to his house. So God know, knows how long he was beating on our door. Yeah. And that's when I, I said that whole thing about, hey, man, why don't you just give me your fucking phone number so you can just call me or text me when we're being too loud and we'll, you know, stop. And he said that, like, why don't you guys stop being dicks? Now, the first time he beat on our door to tell us to turn everything down, he beat it. He, he was beating on the glass portion. He was beating so hard he knocked a pane of glass. Whoa. Out, and it, it smashed inside our house on the ground. Ooh. My roommate got in his face and was like really close to like kicking this dude's ass. And he easily could have too, because this was like some fat middle aged guy. And my roommate was like wow. Mr. P90X bro, uh -huh. muscle bro. And um, 
I'll give it to the neighbor. The neighbor had balls. Like he was just sitting there. My roommate's like right in his face. And the neighbor's just like, he didn't like back down or cower down or anything. The uh -huh. neighbor's like, I just want to get some sleep. I just want to get some sleep. And so he paid for that to get fixed and complained to our landlord. I don't know how he got the number, but uh, yeah, that final time when I said, you know, when he said, why don't you guys stop being dicks? He turned around. He he had turned around right as I opened the door, and he had one hand behind his back, and he never, he never let his hand down. He kept his right hand behind his back, and his left hand was by his side. And then after he said, "Why don't you stop being dicks?" He was like walking backwards to his house. And so I am mm. pretty sure he did. He have a I'm gun. I'm pretty sure he had a gun. <laughs> behind his hand because yeah. nobody would do that unless it was a, or a knife. knife or gun or something wow so, yeah. so so i don't have anything that crazy but i i you know i this is one story i want to share because it deals with you know crazy old men so crazy old man uh, i was on uh the vine which is a uh c-tran bus that goes from goes a certain route uh every 15 minutes and this guy gets on the bus and he's got his bike and he's talking to the bus driver and he's all like, well, I, I, the, the, the computer, the, it, it had a glitch. Like it, I don't have fare. And the bus driver's like, yeah, okay. All right. All right. It's like, but I don't have fare. And like, he's just continuing this, like, well, I don't have the fare for the da da da. And then the bus driver's like, I, I get it. Okay. Uh, I'm not the one that's in charge of the fare. And he's telling him, like, you need to take that bicycle and you need to take it in the back. And he's still going on about the fair. But, but the fair, you need to take the bicycle into the back of the bus. We cannot have it up, up front here. And then the guy's just like, or oh, fuck you, you asshole. Jesus. <laughs> and then he takes the, the bike off and then, like, I'm just like, whoa. I don't have the fair. <laughs> I wish you could have photoshopped that guy in front of a fair and uh and it says tickets sold out behind him and there's a, like a line of people in front of him trying to buy tickets to the fair and he's just going, I don't have the fair. I don't have the fair. Oh my god. So like that's a guy like that could have turned violent. Yeah. You know, if that was in a, a different situation. You know? Yeah, I mean, then there was that one time that old guy pulled the gun on me because I pulled into the wrong driveway. I, I, yeah, you I told already me told about that, that story, yeah. too. But, like, I pulled uh -huh. into the wrong driveway trying to pick up this girl a long time ago. And I, I pull up in the wrong driveway, so I have to... That's your date from yeah, now. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I had to do this, like, weird three-point turn. And then you're awkward as hell, like, when you go to the date later, because you're just fucking Dude, scared. I'm scared shitless. <laughs> I just had a gun pointed at me. I think most guys would have just went home, but her mom... Yeah. Get, this, get this shit. Her mom convinced me to, like, go back and pick her up. <laughs> and this chick was not like unattractive either like i guess i uh -huh. guess her mom's just really rooting for her to uh, i don't know i mean you know we did end up fooling around that night so it wasn't all bad but um <laughs> yeah man I, like i pulled into this guy's yard and i and it had the kind of driveway where you you well the chick 
who I will, I'll at least not name her. She told me that, oh yeah, my house, uh, you gotta drive past the house and it's behind that one. And she like legitimately talked like that. She had the, the most Ooh. mousy voice ever. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, so the only house that I could see within that shitty lit area was this this trailer that had a driveway that seemed to go back past the house. So I'm like, that must be it. And so I drive past the trailer and I see, oh shit, I'm just literally in someone's backyard right now. Like, this does not look good. Because it was like midnight or one o'clock. It just looked really, really bad. Even though I had the purest of intentions, well, I wanted to bone her daughter, so I guess they weren't that pure. But (laughs) I, you know, I wasn't trying to rob anyone. You know, even though I had the purest of intentions in that regard, I still could have gotten shot that night and killed. You know, all all because that guy was afraid. Thankfully, he had enough sense to not kill me. He said, although he threatened mm-hmm. to do so, he said, if you ever do that again, I'll kill you. And he had a gun pointed at me. Mm-hmm. That's some scary shit. So uh, stay away from old people. Uh, they suck. <laughs> <laughs> they suck. At, well, in the South, at least they, they are. Well, fucking, well, not not all old people suck. I mean, you, you know, know me, Mike, make this like yeah, the, I like to paint with very broad. The old man, broad you know, strokes. haters podcast, you know, fuck you, you old timers. You know, no, no. I mean, there's some, you know. Really nice old people out sure. there, like Fred, Fred, like your Fred grandparents. Rogers. Some people, some people's great grandparents. No. Not everyone's grandparents. Well, my grandfather nice. was actually a piece of stool, but uh, anyway, <laughs> my grandma was all right. I'm the jury. Honestly, if I'm being real, yeah. the jury's out on if she was a good lady or not. I, yeah. I mean, she, can you imagine? Can you imagine like you know, there's a podcast that's just all like about not respecting your elders. <laughs> I don't. I don't it's think anybody's about. I don't. Uh, about shitty old, you know, old people. I don't think anybody should respect <laughs> be, should be respected just on the grounds of their age, you know. Well, I agree to with me, that. To me, respect too. earns respect, you know. So, or like shit where it's like, oh, they're like somewhat related to you, so that means that they deserve respect. I'm like, I don't even know you personally. I don't care if you're my uncle, technically. Yeah, you need to earn my yeah, respect. Anyway, uh, that is all the time we have for these podcasts. Uh, I got to go to my karaoke gig at the gay bar. Um, <laughs> fun times. You know, I actually like that gig because I can sing anything I want yeah. there and I don't get judged because they all uh-huh. think I'm cute. <laughs> uh, so anyway, if you want more of me and Mike separately, but but entertainingly equally, then check out our YouTube channels. Uh, you can find Mike at YouTube.com slash OCP communications. He's a movie guy. He talks about movies. What was the last movie you reviewed, Mike? Well, the last movie I reviewed is the same one that I posted a while back. Uh, it was a, a review of Bad Influence. Um, but I did post a video where it was a uh, DVD and Blu-ray update. It was a really long one. because I got quite a bit that I, I showed on camera. So if you want to watch me show a bunch of stuff that I that I picked up fairly recently... You can watch that video. If not, you know, don't don't bother. Next review is going to be of a film called The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. You might have heard of it. Cool. Well, uh, my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Uh, I do all kinds of different videos. What is the last video you did? Uh, it's apropos that I say dancing with ghosts because the last video I put out was actually a little 
uh, teaser for our new album, Hex, that we have completed. Uh, you've heard me in the previous podcast bitching and moaning about uh, all kinds of various aspects of uh-huh. the album, whether it was recording or creating the album art yeah. or... I thought you meant you were going to call it, you know, it's apropos for Dancing with Ghosts because that's your channel is kind of a ghost town because you're like Dancing with Ghosts. Eh, my channel's not a ghost town. <laughs> I hit 3,000 subscribers uh, a few weeks ago. No, yeah, I know. I'm just talking about, like, in terms of new content. Oh, yeah, I know. Like, that, well, now that the album's finally out, that's going to change. Like, YouTube is my A number one priority to get back uh, in the saddle with that. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a little teaser for a new album. Uh, you can get our new al- I mean, there's going to be a commercial at the end of this podcast for it. Um, but, yeah, you can get the new album. It's out now, but I'm not going to spam, you know, too much about that because, there, you know, there's already going to be a commercial for it at the end of this podcast. So, uh, yeah, if you want to join our Facebook group, it's uh, go to Facebook and search Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries in the uh, in the search bar. And, you know, our group should pop up. There's two questions to answer. To see if you're a real human being and if you actually are joining the group because you listen to the podcast and you would be surprised the amount of people that I'm assuming through some kind of Facebook algorithm uh, are constantly asking to join our group and they either never answer the questions or they say, no, I am not joining the group because I listen to the podcast, which is silly to me because it's like, Mm -hmm. well, the name of the group is Fans of the Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries podcast. And the question is, are you joining this group because you listen to the podcast and you're saying no? It just kind of blows my mind the level of human (laughs) stupidity. But... Well, it might not be humans. It might be a well, bot. I, I deny them, whoever they are. I don't I don't just let everyone we in. We did get somebody in recently that was like spamming stuff. Oh really? Uh, so I removed the comment, but I, I didn't I didn't remove the user. Oh, okay. But maybe they left because I removed the comment. I don't know. All right. Well, eh, there you go. Well we we stay on top of that shit over there, folks. Um Oh, we're on Patreon if you want to donut donate to donut. Donate to us on that. Um, it is Patreon. Yeah, so we can buy some donuts. Yeah. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. And um, yeah, the, the, the Patreon page, uh, I, I, am, I am personally wanting that to, to, to do better, to be better. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, Mike hasn't posted anything on there in a long time. Uh, months since you've posted anything on there. Uh, and I, me and Stephanie posted that one bonus thing on there. And because of our, our crazy schedules lately, it's been hard to post it early. So I feel bad about that. I personally, do you want to try to like, uh, maybe have some other perks like people can maybe get access to your album or something or stuff oh, like yeah, that? Yeah. Give away my album. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to probably have to think about something with that because we just haven't been able to produce as much as we would want to on there. And I'm just being stickers stickers would be cool i'm just being like transparent (laughs) about that you know right now because like uh, you know a lot of people on there just just literally they don't they don't so much care about the perks they're just supporting us but i i do want you to have perks on there i i am committed to uh doing better with the patreon and um i'm going to bug mike more about you know him doing bonus segments on there (laughs) because mike god dude how long has it been since you posted a bonus segment on there uh yeah, you've been slacking, <laughs> motherfucker. You need to get back in the fucking saddle on that one. So anyway, um, what else? I think that's it. All right, until next time, ladies and gentlemen, I gotta host some karaoke and drink beers again uh, and be hungover the next day and the cycle continues. Have a good rest of your night. Bye. See ya.
Ladies and gentlemen, my band Dancing with Ghosts' new album is finally complete. The name of the album is Hex. I've taken all my best songs and put them onto one album. Some tracks have been remastered. Some have been remixed. Some songs are completely new, like the one you're hearing in the background. Plus, Stephanie, the second lead singer of this band, has been added to all the songs that were previously off my first album, Koi and Eskazi. There's new artwork, pictures, lore. That's right, I said lore. And lyrics to every song in this eight-page booklet. This album is exclusively available in CD format right now on Bandcamp.com. No Spotify yet. The link is available in the bio of this podcast. Also, Stephanie and I will happily sign any album that is purchased. Thank you again for your amazing support. Didn't mind them.